You are watching Scripts on Scripture, and I am Heather Preston. If you follow me on social media, you know that I'm a writer, and my favorite book is the Bible. With me today is my co-host and good friend, Ivory McDonald. What up? So she is here to keep me from going down rabbit trails, because oh, like most writers, I tend to wander. Before we get started. Yes, before we get started, I have a question. Oh, this oh. is Absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about. We are not going to be deep <laughs> right course. now. We are not going to be spiritual. This is a question. Okay. What's the question? Okay, my question is, well, I have a couple questions, oh, but let me settle on one. Okay. <clears throat> do you prefer to go to the movies okay. or watch a movie at home? Oh, I'm going to watch a movie at home. Be in my PJs. And hog the popcorn and lots of blankets are involved. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so clearly you would rather go to the movies. It depends on the movie. Oh, that's a good point though. You know what I'm saying? That's a good so point. So like, like for instance, the end game, Marvel. You had to you, watch you that. Had it, to, you had to go to theaters. It was the greatest movie going is, experience of my life. That, I have to agree. I have to agree. Then you have to be in theaters for those. Yes. And there is a method the, those behind are... going to the movies. Oh, what is the method? Okay. If you like movies like me, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. I actually enjoy the whole experience of going to a movie. If it's a good theater, I can really... This is true. That is important. That's, that's an important part that of it important. for me. Now, let's say the movie starts at seven. Because I'm a little bougie sometimes with my Oh, movie. I'm bougie all the way. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> let's say the movie starts at seven. Yes. What time are you going to the movies? Well, you got to get there in time to get your popcorn. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you can't just show up. Th- then you miss the, then you miss any of the, the, the previous. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I need my seat by 6.55. I never fam. know any of the movie trivia, but I still enjoy it. Now, exactly. go figure. <laughs> you get your popcorn, you yes. get your drinks, you got to go to the bathroom, yes. you come down, you sit Preparation. down, you're ready, you're yeah, calm, you're absolutely. ready for the previews. I need the previews. Okay? Uh, I, I do. I'm not I do. one of those people. Oh, we got I 20 do. minutes. No, movie starts at 7. And then I'm going to tell, I'm going to literally tell everyone about the previews. Exactly. Because then I'm on the inside scoop. For once in life. <laughs> for once in life. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> that's, a, that's a good tangent. Um, today's topic, though, today's topic is one I'm actually really excited about. What are we talking about? I get asked this question all the time, whether it's in conversation, my research, uh, social media, mm-hmm. but people want to know, is the Bible sexist? So, Ooh, got hot. And, Hold and, on. and you know me, like we, we I want to lean into these questions. Okay. Yes. Let's do it. I, I'm not here to just be like, oh, well, sort of this way, that way people look at it this. We are going to examine some of the arguments, Okay. but I want, I want to really, really lean into, to what prompts this, this question in the first place, because there are so many misconceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into that, I'm going to preface this because I, I have to I have to organize. I have to organize because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm kind of OCD. So, so I think it helps to look at it chronologically, look at the arguments chronologically so that you have the narrative or the story behind why that thought got inspired or became a part of church tradition in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of it is more church tradition than mm-hmm. actually what the Bible says. Growing up in church. Yeah. 
reading the Bible. Yeah. The little girl growing up into a big girl, reading the Bible, it always felt like the Bible was mostly male dominated. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very clear. You really didn't want to be a woman. <laughs> like The Bible times, like you did not want to be yeah. a woman because yeah. you really didn't have rights. Your thoughts yeah. weren't really that important. And you were just a baby making machine. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to look at that more, but so much of that, keep in mind, is a matter of the way that society was structured. Yeah. And and it's not actually biblical. Right. But that's an important difference to make because we're not supposed to be modeling society. Yeah. We're supposed to model what's in the Bible. But it's hard to oh, see that. Absolutely. Just, just from reading the lines in the Bible. You know what I'm absolutely. saying? Like, I mean, you could talk about all the rules... <laughs> The rules about being a woman oh. was like, oh. fam. <laughs> like, I mean, yep. goodness. Yes. Like, yes. Anyway, yes. continue. No, 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 absolutely. So one of the arguments that gets brought up and, and kind of has me a little frustrated um, is, is this idea of Eve being depicted as a, the ultimate villain, mm. like the one who ruined paradise. You know, we, we all know the story. God creates man. He creates woman. They're told not to eat from this tree. And then Eve screws everything up. And I mean, that- <laughs> I mean even as women, we was all like, we looking for you. Right? Heaven, okay. So, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. The Bible never says that Eve deceived Adam. Matter mm. of fact, it says she herself was deceived. It never says she deceived Adam. And in fact... The command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was given to Adam before Eve was ever created. If you oh, look at, yes, yes, yes. If you look at chapter 2, verse 16, Eve isn't made yet. God tells Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, am I saying that Eve didn't know? No, because when the serpent tempts her, she says, oh, we're not supposed to. So clearly, Adam passed along this information. Right. But Adam knew full well. Adam had... Sp- explicit instructions directly from the mouth of God. So Mm -hmm. he was not deceived by Eve. I'm looking at this argument of Eve being this ultimate villain and, and and I'm going, they, they both messed up Yeah, in equal share. And you could almost make the argument that he would have had a fuller understanding having heard this command directly from God's mouth. It's, you know, right there blatantly in scripture. Here's the common thought in the school of, Eve is a villain. <laughs> that she was the weaker sex. Mm, yeah. And so she was therefore more susceptible to being deceived or tempted or whatever. Mm-hmm. She was the weaker sex. And my question is, where was Adam? But can you can you can you speak to that? Absolutely. That thought. Absolutely. So um, a lot of times because Eve was made after Adam and, and they, their argument is, oh, well, you know, God took a, a piece from Adam to, mm-hmm. to make Eve. So she was she was less than because of that. No, what that actually tells us is that they were made out of exactly the same essence, mm. the same soil. Because, OK, imagine this. Imagine if God had taken one pile of, of dirt to create Adam and another pile of dirt to create Eve. Well, the argument can be made then that mm-hmm. Eve's pile of dirt was inferior to Adam's. Right. But if God makes her out of the exact same essence as Adam, then they are completely equal. And in fact, Adam's missing a rib. So you could say mm-hmm. he's incomplete without Eve. Mm-hmm. So really, we're splitting hairs. You can't 
read that into scripture. That's what you call an eisegesis. Okay. An exegesis is where you read scripture and you drive truth out of scripture. Eisegesis is where I come at scripture with something I want it to say and I read it into the text. I didn't even <laughs> but, knew what that was. So, so, <laughs> but that's like, it's really important. It's so important that when we, when we come at these questions, we recognize Okay, here's here here's what I desire. Here's what I, you know, want out of the text. Yeah. Set that aside. What does it really really say? Yeah. So, the second argument that you come across which is like directly after is that um, the Old Testament places man in a position of authority over women. So, so talk about it. Talk so, about it. Here here's the deal. You, you have to remember that after the garden, there's this, real, this a lapse in time between, um, between Adam and Eve getting kicked out and then the establishment of any kind of law, right? So it's, it's like man has time to develop society. Mm-hmm. Now, we have largely agrarian society. They're, they're shepherds, they're, they're tent dwellers. The Israelites are really just a collective of tribes for a long time before they have any kind of established kingdom. And... The, the, you know, Israelite nation was relatively briefly powerful. So for the majority of their history, the only way to have wealth or have affluence was to, to farm, to be hunter gatherers, to be, you know, you and, and, and women, you mentioned this earlier, but they were, you know, largely valued because of their ability to procreate. Mm -hmm. So you're going to protect that. Because without that, you have no, you know, no descendants. Mm. You have no one to work the field. Any of the the protective qualities that we typically associate with men, you can't have that without women. Are you saying that this whole idea of women kind of being less than men was developed because men saw the need to protect women because they are the ones that continue the line. It's I never thought of it that way. I mean, it's the only logical course of action when you are attempting to survive in in and you have to think back. This is before, you know, modern age and and civil government and any of that kind of a structure to, you know, def- armed forces and things like that. You you had armies, but a lot of it was was just warring and and there's very there are very very few kingdoms who had any kind of longevity mm-hmm. in the ancient world because typically you got you know sacked by another warring nation and taken over by this you know tribe or taken over by that it's it, there's there's really um it's it's just tumultuous period in in history mm-hmm. so the argument that that I've heard brought up and and this one this one I have to be I have to bring up because it's it's so dangerous to argue down mm-hmm. this road talk about it but in chapter three, right after you know God confronts Adam and Eve for eating of the tree, mm-hmm. he's describing to them, like, this is the result. This is what is going to happen because of what you've done. Mm-hmm. And he says to Eve, your desire will be contrary to your husband and he will rule over you. Mm, okay. Okay. So yep. the argument is that God has placed man above woman. Okay. But God is in this instance, he's telling them what the consequence of the fall is going to be. This isn't God's divine plan for his creation. 
This isn't how he structured things. Think about the garden. I mean, they walked and talked with God. They were straight up equals. You know, he talks about the ground being cursed because of Adam. Mm-hmm. God didn't intend that. Mm. That wasn't part of his plan. He talks about Eve having pain in childbirth. That wasn't his plan. So why would we take one single verse about the, the friction that's going to exist now between male and female and say, well, that's how God designed it. No, it isn't. So you're saying, if I hear you correctly, you are saying that the idea of men ruling over women is a consequence of the fall. Yes. Okay. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I don't know what to think. <laughs> really, to me, that's why this conversation is so important. Because we misconstrue the heart of God when we put all these hierarchies in place and we put all of these, you know, oh, well, your gender determines this about you or that about you. Why? Where is that in scripture? Show me the verse. Show me the context of the verse. Because that's another thing. If you take these verses out of context, yeah, it's easy to go, oh, well, you know, obviously this is what the Bible says about that. Are you looking at it in context? What, what book are you reading? What, who is the author? What, what is the overarching meta-narrative, if you will, of scripture? And by that, I mean, what is the Bible really about? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times I think we read the Bible as though it's a collection of stories about awesome people that we're supposed to you know, have as role models. Mm-hmm. The Bible is our way of knowing God. God didn't give a revelation of himself to us so that we could read about other people. Mm-hmm. You know, who does that? Who, who, who writes an autobiography so that you can learn about other people in their life? No. A biography is about yourself. The Bible is about God. So we have to be really, really careful when we're reading scripture to make sure that what the truths we are deriving are actually what God intended. Mm. But things like the Mishnah and other rabbinical works that, um, that were studied throughout Old Testament history and, and well into the New Testament, still studied to this day, they're full of very sexist ideology. A lot of those, those works actually depict Eve as the original Jezebel, um, <laughs> describing she, her, her um, being deceived as because a serpent filled her with lust. <laughs> so, um, no. How could the serpent have filled her with <laughs> lust if she was perfect before the fall, uh, fam? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like just, at the point of, of being tempted, she was mm-hmm, perfect. Mm-hmm. So how could Satan <laughs> fill her with lust? What? Well, and, and that imagery is used throughout ancient literature and even to this day. You know, that is so true because sometimes, I'm just being honest, sometimes I feel like there's like this thought somewhere in the back of our heads that women are walking lust pits. I mean, like, I'm just trying like, to live, fam. Like anything's gonna, you know, just do you and that's, that's like it. I say like, hi to a yeah. man, he's automatically gonna Automatic. drop everything. Oh my goodness. And be like, come to yeah. me. And that's not my problem, that's, that's yours. That is not, that is not. But that is something, again, and I wanna get into some of the, the New Testament um, pitfalls because that, that ideology was ingrained in the society that Jesus was born into. Mm-hmm. So in Paul's writings, Paul's writings are some of the most heavily used when talking about oh, the Bible being sexist. Without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, 
kind of breaks my heart for Paul because I love Paul. But um, but his writing comes under fire most often. Um, and and part of it is is translation issues. When we look at 1 Corinthians 11, that chapter just honestly gets butchered. I mean, just butchered. Because Paul was an extremely advanced writer. Mm-hmm. So he uses a lot of technical structuring and things like that um, to, to make his case irrefutable. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in translation, a lot of times that gets lost. Mm. Um, because a lot of the structures that he uses, we don't really use today. Right. So it would have made a lot of sense and been very compelling to his audience. Mm-hmm. Not so much to twenty first century us. Okay. Yeah. So before we again, before we get any further, there's a difference between a universal and a particular claim. Okay. So in Paul's writings, he's he's writing letters. He's he's writing letters. So that is our genre. We have to keep that in in mind. We're not reading a historical book. We're not reading a prophetic literature. We're not reading a gospel account, which would be an eyewitness account. We're reading a letter. Okay. So a letter is written to a particular person or group of people. Right. By nature. Right. Unfortunately, a lot of times people will take those letters and and any verse becomes a universal claim. Okay. But you can't do that. If I'm writing you a letter, it's not going to, not everything that I say in that letter would be applicable to other people. Yeah. In fact, a lot of what I would write in a letter to you would only be meant for you. Mm -hmm. So... Although, yes, his letters are full of universal claims, we have to be careful what we read into every, any individual verse. Right. Because some of what he's saying is meant or intended for a specific congregation. Yeah. Or, in some cases, an individual. Right. Um, so he's addressing a lot of divisions. He's addressing problems in the, in the early church. But a lot of that had to do with the culture they were living in. I mean, ancient Greece was an extremely, extremely problematic, cultic, sexist environment. So you have, you, I mean, you have a devaluation of women on an epic scale. Yeah. If we look at some of the uh, Greek philosophers of the time, it, it becomes very clear what kind of mentality um, the, the general congregants of an early Christian church would be, would be facing. And that's where a lot of this, this comes, this conversation, you know, that he has with the early church comes into play. One of the most prominent verses that gets talked about is, is in again, chapter 11, um, in verses four and five, he's talking about dress code, women covering their head. I know you've heard this. I know you've heard this. Are we really trying to go here? Okay. Let me choose my thoughts very carefully. So, so, but what kind of kills me, I, I want to be like, why are we even talking about the dress code part of this verse? Mm-hmm. Because what Paul says in, before he gets to should cover their heads mm-hmm. is when a woman prays and prophesies. Mm. Did you get that? Continue. When. Yep. Not if. Okay. When. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Now, why would we be talking about the hat when he said, when oh, snap. a woman prays I, and prophesies? I, wow. Mind is blown because I never caught that. And the thing is, he's also referencing. Think about think about what it says in Isaiah. Who's going to pray and prophesy? Men and women. Sons, Sons and, and daughters. daughters. <laughs> Let me know my scripture. 
<laughs> so, sons and daughters. Now, I, I get I get chills. I get chills. I, I literally get chills because that that you, you what what he's saying there that is a universal thing because he's not only talking to Gentiles and Greeks and Romans at this point who would understand the right. difference between a man and a woman. Right. He's talking about Jews who would understand that in those days. I will pour out my spirit and my sons and daughters will pray and prophesy. Mm, okay. <laughs> you got to go slow. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> Selah. Okay. Let's go back. Yeah. I got, I got some questions. Mm-hmm. My first question is, why did anybody, men or women, yeah, yeah, yeah. have to cover their heads when they were praying? Okay. So in ancient Greece... There were a number of, well, just a ton of different cults and temple religions and a lot of temple prostitution. And it was a very common sign in that culture in Corinth Mm -hmm. for a prostitute to signify that she was available. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a mark of solicitation to uncover her head. Mm, Okay. And so you have a number of people who are going to be, in order to convert to Christianity, who are walking away from temple-based religions that are used to... Make a difference. Show a marked difference between you and them. And it was was to signify a position of honor. You're you're honoring the women and saying, yes, we want to empower you. So cover your head to make sure that people know that we aren't like those other religions. Okay, so then what about... Okay, does that have anything to do with us today? Honestly... When he when he closes out his chapter, um, he, Paul talks about using discernment mm-hmm. and being wise in your actions to separate yourselves from the culture that you are in to make sure that they know the difference. That's the universal claim, not the head covering. Because in today's culture, if I, if I don't wear a hat, people aren't going to assume I'm a prostitute. <laughs> so you know, so like. The, the, the universal is be wise in the way that you present yourselves to make sure that the, the culture you're living in, the society you're living in, knows the difference. I ask these questions because... <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, do I really want to out myself? <laughs> um, okay, I was brought up apostolic. Yeah. Right? And in that um, denomination is a lot of rules and regulations. Yeah. In my opinion, I'm, don't come for me, fam. <laughs> In my opinion, the comment section. <laughs> in my opinion, I felt like it was very oppressive to women. Yeah. In that women had to wear head coverings. Now it's interesting because in the Bible times, both men and women right. wore head coverings if they were praying or prophesying or preaching or whatever. Right. Right. In this denomination, the women had to. Yes. You could not come into church without a hat. Or without a prayer shawls. I hated those prayer shawls. I had a white and a black one. Common if you had one too. Um, I've literally seen like people walk in. They didn't have a hat. <laughs> they were either turned around or someone found them a hat. It was like yeah. you weren't. I don't know. But this is how it came across to me. If yeah. It was like you weren't saved mm-hmm. or holy if your head was not covered and they would use that scripture yeah to to um defend yeah that you had to have a hat yeah. as a woman and then even going further with the dress code mm-hmm. there's a scripture i think paul says that women should not wear men's 
clothing. <laughs> In this denomination, I couldn't wear pants. Yeah, yeah. I didn't wear. I didn't have yeah. my first pair of jeans until I was. A sophomore in high school, and I snuck that. And you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you probably felt guilty every time you wore them. I sure, well, maybe a little bit, but like, I snuck them joints. I, I believe that, but I'm, but, but if we look at, if we look at what Paul is saying in these verses and in this chapter overall, and we keep it in the context of what he's saying, mm-hmm. he addresses particulars for each culture. Now. Does a head covering or pants apply to today? Is it tripping people up in church when I wear my jeans to to service? Those are the types of things that is he he urges the church to use wisdom, right? Use discernment, and and also like stop quarreling about things that aren't of eternal significance. That part we we have enough to concern ourselves about in kingdom business. That part. The, that why why are we why are we arguing over, that part over over things like this so and and even just being representative of the whole body of Christ when we can't come together as in in unity mm-hmm. and both men and women serve together in the capacity that God put on them mm-hmm. are we are like why why would we not want that? Why would we not make that our priority? Why would we quarrel over these little things that that end up just dividing us and don't really achieve? I mean, <laughs> I look around, I look around at the ch- the church today and I I'm not trying to throw shade. I'm a Christian. I try and live out out my 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 best walk for God, but we're far from perfect. Yeah. And 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 actually, some of the things that we've seen, especially in the past few years, in terms of of purity in the church or functioning well in that way in the church, I'm not really sure we're being that successful. So mm. maybe we need to go back to our Bibles, re-examine some things, and go, okay, what what really are we? Should we be doing? Should we be prioritizing yeah. in this in this particular? Um, area and honestly, I think the best, um, the best example we could possibly ask for was Jesus, the Jesus. Yes, and and his and his example is blatantly clear. Yeah, he was revolutionary in yeah. his time because honestly, uh, you had the the Greek philosophers of the time. So you have like Plato and Aristotle. Plato straight up says women are inferior. I mean, he writes it just just. <laughs> Right out there. Right. Um, Aristotle, he said that women were cowardly, uh, evil, dishonest, uh, all of those things. Wow. So, um, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the ancient uh, Greeks and Romans, they practiced ethnic cleansing. So if you were expecting a child and that child was born a a girl, um, you were allowed to set that child outside the city gates to die of exposure. Wow. So, um, and, and, and they ended up honestly with a a crisis, much like we see in modern times in China where the, the, you, you out the males outnumber the women. Right. So there's all, all of that, but rabbinical culture was scarcely less sexist. I mean, Paul would have been familiar with the, the common prayer that rabbis would pray every morning. Thank God I'm not a woman. You mentioned waking up to that. Fam. Your your husband rolls out of bed in the morning to say his, his daily prayers. God, I thank you that I am not a woman. Not a if woman. I was his wife, I'd <laughs> clock him. Oh, I know you would. <laughs> clock him. <laughs> but that's but that's where I, I go, okay, 
what did, how did Jesus respond to this culture? Mm. And he treats women with complete equality. You know, I don't think I really realized growing up how revolutionary Jesus was. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. just from reading mm-hmm. the scripture, I read my Bible fail. I, I really do. <laughs> but, like, sometimes when you're just reading the words, mm-hmm. like, you don't realize. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's because I just never really studied the history that much. But, like, you don't realize how very revolutionary Jesus was. I'm not trying to plug anything, but, like, you know the Chosen, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm in season three. So, like... <laughs> The, so they're showing, you know, Jesus has women following him. And the Bible talks about the women that followed him. You had yeah. like 10 different Marys. Very common name. Right. And and just a lot of women following mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. which was revolutionary because men, women were never allowed to go to Hebrew school. No, no, absolutely not. And they not. were never allowed to absolutely follow not. a rabbi. No. And Mary sits at his feet. Right. That is the most common depiction of Mary. That was the position of a rabbinical pupil. Mm. And Jesus honored her. Yes. In front of everybody. Everybody. And was like, let her be. Let her be. She's chosen the, the, the greater things. <laughs> Y'all read my Bible. Um. <laughs> well, and he gives one of his most profound revelations of his divinity to Martha. That's mm-hmm. a very significant moment. And, and her profession of Tell faith. Tell us that moment. You're standing outside of the tomb of Lazarus. Now, keep in mind, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are the only people in scripture who are called Jesus's friends. Yeah, okay. So he has disciples. He has people who are called family. They are the only ones who, like in a sense, God chose to hang out with. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Lazarus dies, so he's in the tomb. And, and Martha comes out to Jesus, just as you would a friend, completely honest, bears her soul. Like if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mm-hmm. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm. Do you believe this, Martha? And she, she says almost verbatim Peter's profession of the faith. Yes. I have always believed you are the Messiah that you have come from God, mm-hmm. but we skip over it. Like, why mm. is that not talked about? That's so interesting because I guess it wasn't seen as important. The gospel writers would have known how important this was because this is in John. This is one of his seven I am statements, one of Jesus's seven I am statements. Mm. Those are crazy important to the gospel message in John. But we just, as a society, we hold up Peter's because because of the way Jesus reacted to Peter saying that, what did he say? <laughs> Upon this rock. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but yeah. my father in heaven. Yeah. But he, when he says upon this rock, he doesn't mean the man. Irebeshe. Oh my God. He means the revelation. God has revealed this to you. <laughs> He's in the room. <laughs> Jesus, let me just <laughs> sup on this real quick. <laughs> so, um, so oftentimes, uh, I, uh, this comes up on, on social media, um, purity culture. Mm-hmm. I had some some really really incredible conversations with people in in DMs and even in the comment sections. But the interesting thing to me about purity culture is that it's not something new. Like yeah, yeah. It, it's not yeah. Um, and and actually, the Pharisees would have been the original um, purity police. Essentially, women were responsible not only for their own purity, but for the lust they potentially provoked. You know, it seems like women (laughs) are just responsible for everything, but not credited with anything. (laughs) There's that. So you probably heard of the bleeding Pharisees. 
No. Okay. What is that? Basically, they uh, were trying to portray how holy they were. Um, and so they, they wouldn't even look at a woman um, for just so they would never be caught in lust. And so what they would do is either cover their faces or they would constantly be looking down. And this resulted in so many injuries that they were known as the bleeding Pharisees. Yes, I am dead serious. This is, this is historical. Uh, this is accounted for. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> moving forward in John chapter eight, we have the story of the woman caught in adultery. And this one is, oh. yeah, this one is, this is, one really ticked me off. Uh, <laughs> I even this one is significant on a number of levels. Now, obviously the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. They want to get him in trouble, in trouble with the Roman authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a little bit of backstory that if, if anyone outside of the Roman government was uh, caught exercising the death penalty, it was big, big, big trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, but according to Mosaic law, Leviticus 2010, both parties. And that's the catch. So they're trying to trap Jesus but their own sexism gets in the way because instead of bringing both parties, according to the Mosaic law, they only bring the woman. Now, obviously they're trying to cause a scandal. They're, they're trying to cause a scene. They drag her out, probably thrashing about. She's disheveled. She's probably half clothed. They toss him down at the foot of this teacher. They're trying to, they're trying to make a spectacle of Mm -hmm. of themselves. And, there's this, there's this picture I just can't get out of my head because you have this woman who is obviously guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's guilty. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly, like you said, they didn't bring the man. Mm-hmm. Where's the man? He's not there. But at the same time, guilty nonetheless. Mm-hmm. She probably looks very, very guilty at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uttermost moment of shame. Now, the scriptures tell us that Jesus, is, he looks completely unfazed, mm. stoops down, writes in the sand, thinking, and then he <sighs> looks at these Pharisees and says, he who has no sin, cast the first stone. Jesus' clapbacks, <laughs> fam, are, right? are revolutionary. Right? So, it, scriptures tell us that all of them began to leave, beginning with the older ones. hmm until she was left all alone, standing face to face. Now, can you imagine this? Here's this woman. At the moment of her most incredible shame, half clothed, hair probably a mess, minutes ago committing adultery, Mm -hmm. and she's standing face to face with God incarnate. But does he stand there and condemn her? No. You know, I, I think that if people spent more time trying to emulate Christ, mm. maybe we wouldn't have half of these sexist thought. Oh, yeah. Because. Oh, yeah. And low-key, I kind of wish Jesus was like, bring me the man <laughs> as well. Loki, that's what you, I'm just saying. But it also, but it just shows like him immediately getting down. Yeah. To to take the attention off of her. I feel like that was his Absolutely. main goal was to like, okay, let me protect her. Because picture it. He's getting to her level. Wow. 
Wow. He's getting to her level in the dirt. In the dirt. And people are now focused on him because they want to see what he's going to do. They're not, it, it was like God was trying to protect her. Absolutely. Like kind of like shield her. Absolutely. You know, and he's writing in the <laughs> old school preachers. They'd be like, what was he what writing? What was he writing? Right. And they'd be like, oh, he was, he was busy writing that stuff. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Writing their receipts. Like, and you did this. And guess what? <laughs> and you did that. I oh, you thought I didn't remember know? last week. <laughs> right. It's just the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. And that's the difference because I feel like we we have a tendency to skip past what was happening in society and in, in the culture at the time. But that can't be skipped past. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the same goes for our society today, because quite frankly, there have, there's been a lot of change, but some things haven't. Yeah. And, and some of those, those same ways of thinking, those same modes of thinking, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we, we think we're so much more evolved than we actually are. Mm-hmm. And that, that's dangerous because we risk interpreting God and interpreting scripture and coming to theological and ideological conclusions that are shaped more by society than they are by scripture. And that, that's where I feel like we as a church have a responsibility to go back to God's word, to go back to the Bible and to go, what is this actually saying? Because that should shape, that should define how we live. That should be what we emulate. That's what the church should look like. Okay, so are you going to go into the most controversial topic? <laughs> what, what you got? Should women be allowed to preach? Well, Paul just answered that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you a funny story. I'm at work, right? This is, yeah. this is like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I think I told you the story already, but um, I'm not work and I'm surrounded by believers except for the owners of the company and my, my immediate boss. So in the other office next to mine is two people. They're both believers. One is from a West, uh, West Indian country and the other, she's, you know, she, I think she's Puerto Rican. So anyway, she goes, somehow they get into this conversation. Now I usually have my headphones in. I tune <laughs> out the world, <laughs> but all of a sudden I hear my name. Ivory, you want to weigh in? I'm like, Oh, what? <laughs> so she's like, should women be allowed to preach? Yeah. Are, is, uh, women, are women pastors allowed? And I was like, oh, I don't think you want me on this conversation. <laughs> and so I said, look, I said, I personally, based on the study that I have done, based on scripture, mm-hmm. Paul actually talks about Priscilla, Absolutely. right? Priscilla? Yep. And many believe that she was one of the first bishops? Yeah. Okay. A woman in Which, leadership, period. Yeah. So that tells me, and he showed her much honor, much respect. Absolutely. Which means that he was all right with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That mm-hmm. it was it was Absolutely. allowed. So therefore, based on that, um, I believe that women in leadership is biblical absolutely it is well (laughs) the man okay was like he was not having it he's not appreciating he was not he he kept (laughs) he he basically 
kept telling me or telling us that that is an opinion, that is our opinion, mm-hmm. and that it's not based on scripture. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we want it to be. All that matters <laughs> is what God says. And I'm like, I done told you yeah, yeah. what scripture says. It's, I told you what God says. It's said. biblical. But he was just adamant, just straight up adamant. So like, there are two very distinct schools of thought. Absolutely there Talk about it. Absolutely there. And there are a number who quarrel over, you know, whether bishop means that she preached. There are some who want to split hairs and say when, when Paul says that they pray and prophesy, it's, it's only when it's a congregation of all women. Now, what, what verse is that? <laughs> what, what verse? Right. Because here's, here's the deal. Here's, here's what, once again, we're in danger of. When we, when we want to split hairs that way, when we want to make it read in, in you know, oh, it's only female congregation. Well, if there's no verse to say that, if that doesn't jive with the rest of Paul's letters, which it does not, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Because then, again, going back to exegesis versus eisegesis, then again, that's your eisegesis. That's you, you interpreting scripture in light of society rather than the other way around. Okay, so then talk about that scripture where Paul was like, Tell you women to be quiet. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. So, um, so this was yeah. That was a th- an issue of of quarreling in the church. Now, a lot of the cults at the time, mm-hmm. um, they would practice a form of worship where you just rile yourself up to the point of just acting as as bizarrely and impulsively as possible. Okay. Um, so it was a lot of screaming, yelling, running around, just thrashing about. You really could call it demonic type practices. Mm-hmm. Um, so the issues that the early church in that particular region were having were followers who had converted from that type of a, a, a cultic practice, bringing that type of worship into, into the early church and it being disruptive and confusing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the reason a lot of times it was women is because those particular cults were oftentimes on the outskirts and women weren't typically allowed in, in temples or in any position of authority, but in those cultic practices, the women were allowed to partake and be a part of. So obviously that would have been more alluring and more, you know, if you're, if you're not even allowed to participate, you're probably not going to bother attending, but if you're going to be allowed to, it's going to be more appealing. So, but the, the issue was taking those practices into the early church and then becoming disruptive and distracting. And, and so Paul is saying, again, separate yourself. Don't allow that to happen. Now, at this point in history, you also have to consider that women have been held back from any type of, of education. Whether you're a Jew, Jewish woman mm-hmm. and you're you're not allowed to study under any rabbi, or you're a Greek or a Roman woman. I mean, <laughs> let's face it, the main philosophers of of the time considered women completely inferior, mm-hmm. evil, dishonest, cowardly. You all the lovely <laughs> Lust things. Fits. Yeah. All of that. So, um, so you, you're learning a lot of these things for the very first time. Now that's not to say there weren't, you know, marvelous exceptions. And, and Priscilla is just one of many women that Mm. Paul entrusts with roles of leadership in the church. Um, he lists a number of them Mm. and Priscilla is actually, uh, we probably shouldn't get into that. Some believe her to be the author of Hebrews, but anyways, that (laughs) 
Yes. Girl, you about to set the whole, like, people are about to lose their whole minds well, right now. It, that's not the only book in the Bible that's suspected to have been written by a woman. Ruth is also. I think that is probably more <laughs> accepted than the book of Hebrews. Well, but, but think about it. He trusts her with so much, so much. And, and not only, not only does he stay with her and, and Aquila on a number of occasions, travels with her and Aquila on a number of occasions, but he entrusts her to teach other early believers. She Mm. puts in check Apollo who was confused about a number of things. You know, he had converted, didn't really understand a lot of what he was teaching, but he was a powerful speaker. She pulls him aside, corrects him, and then then sets him 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 loose to go evangelize. Mm. Those are the types of of instances where you have to step back and go, if Paul thought this was a good idea, mm. why why would I hesitate? Right. I mean, Paul wrote about half the New Testament. Right. So and and, and his books are some of the most complete manuscripts we even have. Like they are they're yeah cherished when it comes to like gender roles Mm -hmm. and the bible Mm -hmm. like i'm thinking particularly of the scripture where it talks about christ being the head of the church yeah and somehow it's related to men therefore being the head of their home yeah (sighs) (laughs) so i'm going back to what you said in the beginning about the the man shall have rule over you that that was a consequence of the fall mm-hmm. but then in new testament you see christ being the head of the church and then the man is now the head of the home and that translation is a little confusing please talk to me so in greek the word that that paul uses in in that instance the the head mm-hmm. you're, you're the image that most likely he is using in terms of analogy metaphor is the headwaters. Hmm. Now you have to figure what he's saying there in that instance. He, he says that, you know, man came from, from God. Mm -hmm. And then he says that woman came out of man Mm -hmm. and now every man is born of a woman. So you have the source the headwater source mm-hmm. of each of these instances all connected. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of hierarchy. God isn't establishing a hierarchy. Obviously God is above everyone, mm. but you, you have the, the source that, that headwater source mm-hmm. connecting all together. And then when he, he goes further and says, you know, every man is born of a woman. And once again, there's, there's an interconnectivity there that there everything is intrinsically tied t- together. Mm-hmm. So um because you have to figure you know there's the argument as well where Eve is described as being a helper. Well that word helper it's it's not second class, mm-hmm. okay? Which is what has been made to read. But you have to figure that same word is used to describe the Holy Spirit. Who was not second class. No. And it's used to describe the Holy Spirit in reference to its relationship with man. Obviously, even if you were to say, and I would never get into this, but even if you were to say that the Holy Spirit was less than the the Father, Mm -hmm. even if you were, you are never going to say the Holy Spirit is less than man. And in the Psalms, David specifically describes the Holy Spirit with that same word, helper. Your comment section is about to be really (laughs) insane. 
Because I, I, I feel, because this is kind of like pushing up against people's religion. Mm-hmm. It's pushing mm-hmm. up against people's traditions. Yeah. It's pushing up against people's thought that thoughts that they've had growing up, and it's Absolutely. now so very ingrained and instilled in all of us. Yeah. And yeah. I really don't know where to go from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I want. It's like do the research because I, I know that people are going to be angry, mm-hmm. and people are going to be like, "You don't know your scripture, <laughs> and you don't know what you're talking about." Do I, the I get the comment, "You don't know anything." Quite a bit. right, you do, which is like. <laughs> You really don't have anything to say or add to the conversation, so now you're for uh, anyway. I've, I've literally gotten you are stupid. Thank you. <laughs> That's real mature. Um, but like, it's like I guess we're just telling people do your research. Absolutely. Do your do Absolutely. your study. Absolutely. And, and do an unbiased yes. study to know yes. the truth. Because if you know the truth, the scripture says yes, it will set it will you set free. you free. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. Right. Don't take my word for it. If you want any of my sources, uh, tell them where it is. If you want any of my sources, tell please them. blow up the comments. Let me know. What do you want? What do you want to read that I have, that I have been using in these, in these notes of mine, um, in any of my research, I, I would never jump on and, and talk about something that I have not adequately studied. Um, because my, my heart is like you said, I, I want to ask these questions and not just gloss over or substitute what the Bible says for what a pastor told me. Mm. I, I want, I want to know yeah. God. Right. And I know that the Bible says those who seek find. If you really think about it, these trains of thought like, how does that make a woman feel when relating oh, to God? Because I remember growing up, it's kind of like, absolutely, God, are you for me? Yeah. Or are you only for males? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the Bible says God created male and female in his image. And so I think what oftentimes we end up doing is focusing on the male aspects of God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what, about, what about the woman? Yeah. How does she reflect the nature, the essence of God. That's something that I, I really, I would encourage anyone watching to really um, focus on. But I think we're out of time. So we are. How, how long we've been talking? <laughs> I don't even know how long we've been talking. And Where can they find you, sis? Uh, well, I'm on uh, TikTok and uh, Instagram. What's your name? Uh, Heather Preston. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> They're going to be like, okay, what are we supposed to be looking uh, cool. for? Cool. Great. Yeah. Heather Preston. That's me. Um, yeah. So, and, and, and follow you as well. Cause you. Oh, you want to follow, follow me stuff. too? Okay. <laughs> I've been McDonald's official. Hallelujah. <laughs> all, right. all, all the things. So, um, don't forget to like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> Hallelujah. 